Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Thursday, February 16th, 2023. And today will be better than yesterday. Working from the hangar is Sarah Abbott back in Connecticut. Taylor Schwenk is also back in Connecticut. The Reverend is working from the pulpit. And I'm Buster Olney. I'm down in Florida for the start of spring training. And guys, I've got a wedge of sunburn at the top of my shirt. Like that one spot and like at the hollow of your neck. I just have, I was prepared for the first day of sun here down in Florida after winter in Montana. But I do have some sunburn right from the get-go. I noticed that tan as soon as you hopped on, man. You're looking good. You're looking good. Spring training looks nice on you. Yeah, a little aloe, a little lanocaine is a good sunburn hack. So I'll do the trick. I'm going to need it it later today because we're going to be meeting with uh, Commissioner Rob Manfred, all the general managers, all the managers from the teams down in Florida are going to be back in Dunedin. And so, yeah, uh, maybe I need one of those big floppy hats. We know that Aaron Boone, the Yankees manager, Brian Cashman, the general manager, going to be getting questions today about Frankie Montas who's going to be having shoulder surgery. Aaron Boone announced that on Wednesday. Frankie is going to have surgery. It is now scheduled for the 21st of this month. And then hopefully a few days after that, he'll, he'll come join us. So based on what you know right now, what is the timetable for his return? Best case is he would be back late in the season, but we're really going to know a lot after the 21st when they know specifically what they have to do in there. If it's just the scope, then there's the potential he could be back late in the year. I'm going to be asking Cole Rabich about the uh, his level of concern about that injury and about this injury. Steven Strasburg, Washington Nationals right-hander, did not report with other pitchers to spring training on Wednesday after recent setback and his comeback from a 2021 operation to correct thoracic outlet syndrome. I have strong feelings about whether or not this might be big picture, the sort of injury that can end a career. Two-time signing award winner Jacob DeGrom is held out of the first spring training workout for the Texas Rangers on Wednesday because some tightness in his left side. The impending bankruptcy of Diamond Sports Group, the company that owns Bally's 19 regional sports networks, will not impact fans' ability to watch their favorite teams play. That according to Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred. I mentioned Rob's going to be here in Florida today. We're going to get a chance to talk with him uh, yesterday. We were given rules presentation by uh, Joe Martinez of Major League Baseball. I'm going to be talking about that with Jeff Passan, who's coming up. He's uh, one of a group of uh, guests that we have today. Sarah Langs is going to join us, Paul Ambikides, and I also mentioned Carl Ravitch. Rockies manager Bud Black signed a one-year extension through the 2024 season. Uh, He was hired before 2017. Black now is third in franchise wins behind Clint Hurdle and Don Baylor. The Padres earlier this week signed Michael Walker to a really interesting four-year, $24 million deal. This, to me, rounds out what I think is the weakest part of the Padres team, the depth in their rotation. I think I'm going to pick them to win the National League West. I'm going to be talking with Paul Ambikides about that. Some voices from spring training. Here's Max Scherzer talking about being part of a strong rotation that now includes Justin Verlander. 
Pitch with Ver before, uh, you know, I've gotten to learn from him in the past, and uh, it's really going to be interesting pitching with again. Uh, I know we pitched together for five years, but actually we've been apart for eight now. Um, and, and, you know, his experience is there in Houston. Um, it's going to be <laughs> real fun to uh, start comparing notes. Uh, and then obviously and it goes on from there, from what Steve and, and the front office did. They, I mean, they continue to make moves, um, you know, bringing in Singa as well, uh, you know, Quintana. Here's Dansby Swanson in his first spring training with the Chicago Cubs. Still getting used to this dryness out here in Arizona. It's not quite this dry uh, down south, but no, I mean, I'm excited. This is, uh, this is such a great place to be. I was telling somebody earlier, like, when they say Cubs family, like, they really, really mean it. You just feel like a personal touch on every level. So uh, just excited to be around the guys. Uh, I love developing relationships and, and getting to meet new people. So uh, I'm just so excited for this opportunity. Padres general manager A.J. Preller discussed Fernando Tatis Jr.'s health uh, and what's expected of him moving forward? He's in a really good spot physically. I mean, he he went down and he had you know he had had surgery this off season you know for for a labrum surgery for his shoulder and then uh, wrist repair revision that that he was dealing with from from last year as well. So. I think he's in really good spirits. I think he knows he's, you know, he's got a lot to prove and, and earn back the trust of, uh, you know, of, of a lot of people. But he's taking it head on. He's been honest. He knows it's not going to be easy. Taylor, what else you got? Buster, I am sending good vibes to CJ McCollum as he is not playing right now, and he's on my fantasy basketball team. But while he's not playing basketball, he's also uh, hosting a podcast here for ESPN, the CJ McCollum Show. Every week, you can go inside the locker room with New Orleans Pelican star CJ McCollum and get the inside perspective you can only get from someone in the locker room and on the floor. That's the CJ McCollum Show. Listen wherever you're listening to this podcast right now. Jeff Passon covers baseball for ESPN. He's out in Arizona. I'm in Florida. And Jeff, uh, the late news, just before I, I got on the, the podcast today, we found out that the Red Sox have assigned number two to Justin Turner. And Justin Turner just told reporters a few minutes ago that the Red Sox asked him to wear number two. Uh, and I'm, it just makes me shake my head. Jeff. It feels like like first the first day of camp the conversation should not be about whether or not Xander Bogart's numbers and get has been given away to a guy who's going to be with your team maybe for a year or two what do you think Xander Bogart's erasure wow uh I right out of the gate heard that yet Buster and you and you and you told me you told me when I came on just a couple of minutes ago you're gonna hit me with something unexpected yeah that's unexpected um What's the purpose of that? I, I suppose it like I understand that I, I think that numbers are particularly important, frankly. Um I I think they're important when you're like twelve and in little league, generally speaking. But to actively try and give a number with as much meaning as two has to the Red Sox and has had to the Red Sox for the last half decade plus and to give it to a guy who, like you said, is not going to be a long termer. Um, Justin Turner was brought in by Boston to provide stability and leadership in the short term. And I thought it was a good signing in that regard. And they were more active on him than just about any team, maybe aside from the Marlins. But uh, yeah, it's uh there, there are some, there are some trip slips and falls going on in Boston these days, and it's, it's very interesting to me to see some of the fan bases that have been unflinchingly loyal in the past 
and where they stand with their teams right now. And it's especially acute, I think, in Boston, New York, and San Francisco, three of the places that have been the most attended, uh, that uh, you have sellouts regularly. And all of their fans, whether it's Boston because of the offseason, New York after Frankie Montas got hurt, uh, or San Francisco after the the Aaron Judge and Carlos Correa misses, uh, all of them are are sort of teetering on the edge right now, feeling like they warrant more as fan bases. Yeah, it's strange, especially because number two you mentioned has meaning not only because of Bogarts, but Jerry Remy, who didn't pass away that right. long ago, and Xander Bogarts was someone who wore his number. Uh, let it breathe, for God's sake. I mean, just give it a few years, and then the hard feelings about Bogart's departure go away. Bogart's, I think you would agree with me, there's a chance he's going to be a Hall of Famer. Let it breathe. Yeah. I, I, it just, I don't know. They've been they've been making a lot of mistakes in Boston, and here's the latest one. I don't want to dwell on that too much today uh, because uh, you and I got to see these rules demonstrations. I'm curious about... Uh, your impressions, and there's so much nuance in the presentation that you can't really yes. do a deep dive, but I'll give you some some thoughts I had walking out of it. Uh, I find it interesting that all issues not related to pitch clocks uh, or related, all issues related to the pitch clocks are not subject to review by the teams. They're not allowed to yep. review anything with a pitch clock, uh, but defensive shift violations can be reviewed. The managers, if they see yep. an infielder move over across second base, they can... Uh, they can challenge that with instant replay review. The impact of the bigger bases, I think, is going to be greater than anticipated. You know, as Alex Coro had the first description that I saw you know, of the bases as being pizza boxes. And number three point, I think inevitably there's going to be a moment when the pitch clock, uh, pitch clock operator comes under some scrutiny. That will not be an easy job, Jeff, after hearing the nuance with uh, when they restart the, the pitch clock from batter to batter. The pitch clock operator has an extremely difficult job, actually, because he or she is going to have to pay laser-focused attention to do it right. I mean, let's let's look at clock issues in the other sports. And, and MLB wants to call this pitch timer. Now it's clock. And uh, there are always clock issues in the NFL where – uh, the ref will say, please reset the clock to, or in the NBA where they'll add time back. Um, and, and I'll be curious to see what Major League Baseball's mechanism is to do that. Maybe maybe it's a hand signal or something. I'd like to think that the home plate umpire who's going to be in charge of almost all of this, it's not going to be the crew chief, it's going to be the home plate umpire, is going to uh, have some sort of system developed uh, where he knows where to look, what's a signal and that there's communication there. Can I jump in real quick? Real interesting. Uh, One detail about that. Uh, I asked this yesterday and and this is, again, you're talking about new, the the nuances of this, all four umpires can reset the pitch clock. Okay. All four have the ability to do that with the communications they have, not just the home plate umpire or the crew chief. That was a surprise to me. Yeah. I I think uh, from, from what, Joe Martinez and Morgan Stewart, MLB officials, were saying, while all four can, the impetus, I think, is going to be mostly on the home plate umpire. And so the eyes are going to be on him, too. Um, 
the morning of the demo that I went to, the Alex Cora pizza box quote came out. And the only thing I could think is, is this is a medium pizza and regular bases are small pizzas. <laughs> like they all look like pizza boxes. I mean, they all look like pizza boxes and people are going to call them the pizza box because it's, it's a funny thing to say. But yeah, I, I think that we're, we take for granted the bang, bang nature of plays to the point where we think four and a half inch difference is not all that big. Four and a half inch difference could be enormous. Um, but I think, I think the reason that the bigger bases are going to have an effect is that in concert with the limited pickoff moves, when you have only two disengagements from the rubber, um, I, I'm not going to say that you can, uh, get an early start or or try and really time the pitchers up because on that third disengagement, you could get picked off. Um, but it, it's not going to surprise me at all to see somebody steal 75 bags this year. And it's not going to surprise me at all to see uh, the number of stolen bases jump significantly, you know, 20, 30, 40% potentially, which isn't saying a ton because of where stolen base numbers have been, but uh, it, it's, it's going to be a different looking game. And, uh, is, as far as the clock itself goes, what was your point there? I thought I was going to me- remember all three. About the and- instant replay review. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, pitch block uh, issues are not subject to review, but on the other hand, defensive, uh, shift rules are subject to review. I think that's, it's, it's weird. I think probably ultimately it's the right thing because I feel like, the pitch clock could be a Pandora's box, whereas the the defensive shift, it's a pretty simple thing. Just take the replay back and freeze it. Uh, but that's going to be dependent on camera angles. And also, like, uh, are, are the cameras going to be synced up to the point where you see when the pitcher releases the ball, where the player is on the field and what if it's you know what if it's a borderline call is it going to be the the play stands on the field or are they going to lean more toward calling these things uh i i don't think we're going to see a ton of challenges on defensive shifting no. uh that either happen or are successful but there's going to be one man there's going to be one that's going to be borderline and it's going to go against what our eyes are telling us and it's going to give us a really good day of content. So I absolutely believe that these rules in the end that they're putting in this year will make this a better product. But as I listen to all the nuances and, and all the details, I'm like, oh, my God, there's going to be so much complaining about this in March and April, yes. especially from veteran players. Yeah, well, there was going to be, though. And, and remember, there was complaining when – uh, you didn't slide hard into second base. Right. And there was complaining when they were doing sticky stuff checks, and there was complaining that they couldn't run over catchers anymore. It's, they're ball players. They complain. Like, that's what they do. They're as good at it as they are at swinging a bat or throwing a pitch. But in the end, I think they all realized that the rules are not changing. Uh, th- this was collectively bargained. The, they ended up where they ended up because they wanted to play baseball in 2022 and beyond. And I, I think a lot of guys, once they see how quickly games are going, both in terms of time as well as pace, are going to be on board with it. Uh, they're they're going to see a crispness of baseball that 
I don't think we've seen for a really, really long time. And uh, I know there are plenty of people who listen to this podcast who are in their teens and 20s who don't understand unless they've gone back and looked what baseball was like in the 70s and 80s, which is the model that MLB is is looking for here. I mean, this is the baseball I watched growing up, and it's something that I have a great fondness for and, frankly, have missed for a long time. If it is a more contact-oriented sport that uh, showcases the athleticism of players when players are better at hitting and more athletic than they've ever been, I just feel like that's going to be a net positive in the end. All right, we got about three, four minutes left. I got a few more topics to throw at you. Mike Trout yesterday was talking about Shohei Otani's impending free agency. Here's Mike Trout. He's got to do what's right for him and uh, what he feels right. You know, that's all up to him. You know, if he feels that staying in Anaheim is, is the right move, you know, he should, he should do that. And if, you know, he thinks otherwise, it's uh, I'm going to do as much as I can to, you know, try to commit some stay. So, you know, he's got to really sit down and think about it. Uh, it's a big decision for him. It's probably the biggest one of his life. It's, it's a difficult decision because for, for him, if he does stay or if he does, not only like saying it if he leaves, but, you know, it's going to be different for him, but new atmosphere, new, new, new people, new teammates. But uh, like I said, I'm going to do whatever I can to keep him here. Jeff, two thoughts about this. One, Mike Trout will have no impact on whether or not Shohei Otani stays with the Angels. That's just the way it goes. And number two, I haven't spoken with a single person who believes that Otani will be on the Angels in 2024. What are your thoughts? Well, I hadn't spoken with a single person who thought Shohei Otani would go to the Angels when he signed in the first place. So fair. I, I'm Absolutely not fair. Stop. Yeah. So I'm not going to sit here and discount the notion that he stays – because he is somebody who likes his creature comforts and somebody who likes his familiarity and somebody who's very simple in how he goes about doing things uh, and what's important to him. And so the notion that the grass is always greener, you know, it may look blue to Shohei Otani. That being said, any objective look at what the Angels have done over the course of time that he's been there And the fact that Artie Moreno is still sticking around and has a reputation, a well-earned one at that, uh, of being an owner who, frankly, does not put together a particularly good baseball team and does not invest in his baseball team quite like others, leads me to believe that Mike Trout's protestations are probably going to be for naught. Um, Of course, he wants Shohei Otani sticking around. Uh, Anyone would, and... All you're going to have to do is look at the final number that uh, I think is probably going to start with a five on his contract and and say that even though Artie Moreno's gone to 240 for Albert Pujols, even though Artie Moreno gave Josh Hamilton $125 million and Anthony Rendon $245 uh, and, and all the other contracts that he's given out, uh, this one may be a bridge too far. In, in a battle among... Steve Cohen, Mark Walter, and Artie Moreno. I'm not picking Artie. I think you have that right. Uh, Spring training starts without (laughs) Trevor Bauer on a team. I haven't heard his name from one team. Not one person asking, hey, what do you hear about him? How does he look? That sort of thing. I I go back to, you know, what I said a few weeks ago. I don't think Trevor Bauer is going to pitch in the big leagues. What have you heard? The same. Silence to the point where I started asking around in Japan and saying, hey, would any of the teams there sign Trevor Bauer? Because uh, I just don't know that a big league team right now is going to do that. And I think that Mike Clevenger is illustrative 
of where Trevor Bauer situation, the Trevor Bauer situation could end up if a club signed him. Um, the, the entire Mike Clevenger press availability from Rick Hahn to Clevenger himself yesterday was very uncomfortable. And the discomfort was only uh, extended when uh, Olivia Feinstead, who uh, is alleging that Mike Clevenger abused her as well as their daughter, uh, went on radio with Parkinson Spiegel in Chicago yesterday and uh, opened a vein for 20 minutes. And the notion that you have a guy like Trevor Bauer who doesn't just have one accuser but has multiple accusers and those accusers are saying that he did something that uh is as heinous as it is um i just don't understand how a team gets to the point when you sign a guy like trevor bauer it's not just a baseball operations decision um this is something that goes up to the the team president ceo and owner and filters down through the business department because it could affect sponsorships, filters down through the ticketing department because it could affect your season ticket and your individual ticket base. It it has so many tentacles to it that I have difficulty thinking that a club is going to look at this and say the juice is worth the squeeze. And yet the reality is, Buster, Trevor Bauer still, I believe, would be a very good major league pitcher. And accordingly, a team may talk itself into that saying, if we're going to be signing him for the minimum and he's going to be providing us with 25 or 30 or $40 million in marginal value, just on his performance alone, can, can we as an organization reconcile giving up a a $40 million in surplus value for what might be a few lost tickets or a few angered fans. I think that's a very cold and calculating way of looking at it. But I also don't discount that there's the possibility a team could eventually look at it that way if it's back into a corner because of injuries or other things like that. I just don't think it's going to be anytime soon. And I think in the end, you're probably right uh, that no team is, is going to find it worthwhile. But uh, hey, these are uh, these are major league ball clubs. They they have done things like this in the past, and I think they will do things like this going forward. Another way, I guess, to to look at this as uh, that the Bauer situation is uh, what the White Sox experienced yesterday. Do we think that their leadership, if they could do a do over, would sign him, knowing what they know now? Absolutely not. There's no chance. Nope that Mike Clevenger would be on the White Sox if uh, they could see how yesterday was going to play out. All right, sir, I appreciate it. Have fun in Arizona. Sure will. Thanks, Buster. Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus Chews provide one-and-done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NexGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection 
prior to starting preventive. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, the clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. The Houston Astros. The Houston Astros, the defending World Series champions, who will try to become the first team since the 1998 to 2000 Yankees to win back-to-back titles. Gone, but not forgotten. Justin Verlander won a Cy Young Award for the Astros in 2022 and then signed with the Mets in free agency. General Manager James Click was effectively shoved out the door and replaced by superstar talent evaluator Dana Brown. Newcomers. The Astros signed former MVP Jose Abreu to provide some thump in the middle of their lineup. With Jose Altuve, Jordan Alvarez, and Alex Bregman likely hitting ahead of Abreu, he should drive in a ton of runs. Fault lines. Highly respected catcher Martin Maldonado is 36 years old, and the Astros will soon need to embrace a transition at that position. Maybe to touted prospect Yiner Diaz, whose strengths and weaknesses are generally perceived to be the opposite of Maldonado's. He hits, and rival executives have questions about his defense. And former managers like Jim Leland will tell you that the championship hangover is a real thing. And we don't yet know how that might manifest with the Astros. Maybe the next year toll on the pitching staff that worked into early November. Breakout star. Kyle Tucker is not the household name that Alex Bregman or Jose Altuve is, but that could change this year. Tucker is 26 years old, a gold glover coming off a 30-homer season, and this could be the year he breaks into the top 10 in the MVP voting. The X Factor. The Astros are in a division that appears to be improving dramatically. The Rangers and Angels spent aggressively in the offseason, and the Mariners might be the most dynamic up-and-coming team in the majors. The Baseball Tonight Podcast win projection. Sarah Lang says 94 wins for the 2023 Astros. So does Paul Ambikides. Bakota has pegged the Astros for 96.2 wins. I say 96. Houston has a legit shot to go back to back. Jumping into the numbers. This is Hembo Knows on Baseball Tonight. Paul McKeady's is Hembo. He, of course, is a researcher at ESPN. He's a content producer on the show Get Up. He is the voice inside of Mike Greenberg's head. Hembo, we start with this. I got rules presentation uh, from Major League Baseball yesterday and listened in on that, and I walked away saying, boy, that job of being the pitch clock operator would be really difficult. But on the other hand, I'd say this. Like, among the people that I work with at ESPN, I think you would be qualified because you have to have laser border collie like focus in order to do that job with all the you know the shifting pitch to pitch uh you know the wave offs the the restarts of the clock you know what the players are doing that's going to be a hard job could, would, could you imagine yourself being a pitch clock operator 
I think I could because not only could I uh, handle the mechanics of the job buster, but you know, I'm the most disagreeable person that you that you've ever met in your entire life. And I'm such a sociopath. I don't care if these famous rich people are yelling at me. Like it doesn't bother me at all. So if these guys can hell at the moon all they want, it's my job to enforce those rules. And with laser like focus, I shall. Okay. I'm going to use the name of a retired umpire, but for example, I could see you like Joe West looking at the box and waving off saying restart the pitch clock. And you as a Phillies fan, a Met players in the box, I could see you waving back at Joe West and saying, no, we're going to continue the clock and we're going to get an advantage out of this. That's right. I am fascinated to see, especially early in the season, how these cantankerous players adopt to these rules because there's going to be so many habits and rituals that are going to have to be interrupted now that are going to have to be sped up now. And it's going to be on the enforcers, the umpires and all the people responsible for doing this to ensure that the players eventually get on the same page that the, the first month or so of the season is going to be a fascinating experiment. And all of those things, because players have done us have done things a certain way since they were five years old. And now all of a sudden overnight, those things are going to be flipped. It's really going to be a fascinating experiment. Yeah, uh, there's no doubt about it. And, and uh, as we talked about, uh, with we're going to be talking about with Ravi, I, there's just so much nuance um, that's happening with this. All right, so we got a bleacher tweeter overnight who asked me if, if somebody, one of the guests, would uh, do a major pushback to annoy me, and I immediately nominated you based on our conversation last night in text on this topic. Who's going to win the National League West? Because i got to tell you, Hembo, now, the Padres add Michael Waka to what is a good rotation. I think now they have some depth. I love their everyday lineup. I think I'm going to pick the Padres to win the National League West. What do you think? I think that you're out of your freaking mind, Buster, only. And I don't say that to be disagreeable. I don't say that to uh, to pander to our, to our tweeter. I say that because I think you're out of your mind. Here's why. So what the Padres have in you know brand names and, and, and superstar players, I think the Dodgers more than make up for with their ruthless player development and organizational depth. Let's also remember the starting point here. So just one season ago, the Dodgers played, uh, using their run differential, uh, 116-win baseball. The Padres played 86-win baseball by that measure. The Dodgers were 289 runs better than the Padres were last season. So look, I grant you the Padres are better, and the Dodgers are worse. And they might converge somewhere in the 90s, but a 162-game season is a marathon, and it's not a sprint. And you don't win the National League West this year by having a handful of great players. You win the National League West this year by having dozens of value-positive ones. The Dodgers have more of those in the pot than the Padres do, and they have way more on the way. Right now, Buster, the Dodgers have seven top 100 prospects that are going to make an impact in the big league club this year. They have seven of those guys. The Padres don't have a single one. So it would not surprise me at all if San Diego outlasted the Dodgers in the postseason the way they did last year, but they are categorically not winning more regular season games. Yeah, uh, you're scaring me a little bit with uh, some of those numbers you're throwing at me, and I got to tell you, because I feel like the person is running out like, let's go, who's with me, and no one's behind me in terms of picking picking the Padres to win the National League West and winning the World Series. Uh, All right, let's look back at free agency. What was your favorite nine-figure deal? Carlos Rodon, six years, $162 million to the Yankees, and here's why. I could construct an argument that he has been baseball's best pitcher the last two years, pitching one season in each league. He's the only qualified starter over that span to strike out more than a third of the batters that he faced. And over that period of time, he loans the lowest FIP in the major leagues. That's a stat that that deletes all the things that pitchers can't control. He ranked number one in both of those categories. Add him to Garrett Cole, those two guys struck out 922 batters over the last two years. This is going to be the Yankees' best one-two punch in their starting rotation since 
CC Sabathia and AJ Burnett in 2009. And we all know how that turned out. Yeah. And we know that Rodon's health now is especially important given the news that we heard on Frankie Montas. What was your favorite eight figure deal? Jose Abreu, three years, $58.5 million to Houston. This guy's going to bang into his 40s. He's going to play this year at 36. He has lost absolutely none of his batted ball potency while he continues to uh, improve uh, in sort of small ways as he gets in, like, as, he, as he ages. It's a remarkable thing. So we know he can hit the crap out of the ball, right? He ranked in the 90th percentile or better last year in average exit velocity and expected slug and in hard hit rate. But 110 strikeouts last season for Jose Abreu. In two strike counts, he had 115 combined hits and walks. Think about that. For the first time in his career, he was more likely to reach base in two strike counts than he was to strike out. That's a guy who's not getting any worse, and he's going to make a huge difference in an Astros lineup, and I think we'll actually need him this season. Boy, uh, the depth in that front group, uh, somebody is going to drive in a ton of run. In fact, you know, I could see uh, Kyle Tucker just having a monster year where he's vaulted in the MVP conversation, taking advantage of all the good hitters that are going to be in front of him. Uh, what was your favorite seven-figure deal? I'm going to cheat here and give you two because they work hand-in-hand. Hand. It was Brandon Belt and Kevin Kiermeyer to Toronto. They both signed one-year deals worth $9 million each. We know Kiermeyer can still go get it. It's 147 career defensive run saved, and they improved their outfield in two positions. at center, of course, and by being able to move George Springer, a former center fielder, to the corner. Brandon Belt, meanwhile, has a recent track record of high-level hitting in the 20-21 uh, seasons. He had the third best batting line in the entire major leagues, an OPS plus of 165. He's hitting in a much friendlier environment now. And you've talked about this a lot. The Blue Jays were in desperate need of more lineup balance. You had a couple lefties to a lineup last year. Last season, Toronto, only 31% of their plate appearances came with a platoon advantage. That was the lowest rate by any team in a season in the last 40 years. Those two guys, for a combined $18 million, are going to make a world of difference to a team, I think, that has a real shot to win the American League East. Yeah, it was a Blue Jays camp yesterday before the rules presentation. Uh, a, a lot of positive vibes going on with that group. Uh, you sent me three bold predictions for your fantasy baseball team. Uh, I'm going to make fun of you for one of them. Uh, let's start out with Bobby Witt Jr. I think he's going to steal 50 bases this season for Kansas City. We know he's fast enough. Last year, he ranked in the 100th percentile in sprint speed according to StatCast. So he can definitely do that. Now, he stole 30 bases, Buster. It's most impressive because he only had a 294 on base percentage. He reached base only 186 times. This is a kid with a 350 on base percentage in the minor leagues. He's going to get on base 20, 30, 40 more times this year. He can run fast enough. And given the fact that the rules are going to be advantageous to people that can run fast like him, I think 50 is on the list of options. What say you? Uh, I think that's absolutely fair. Uh, I also think that your uh, prediction for an ERA title for a particular pitcher, also fair. Christian Javier is going to win the American League ERA title. He's unhittable, like perhaps the most unhittable pitcher in all of baseball. So there were 167 guys last year, Buster, that threw at least 75, 75 innings. Javier allowed 89 hits across 148 and two-thirds innings. That was the lowest rate among those 167 pitchers. The league hit 170 against him, the lowest mark among all of those 167 pitchers. I'm going to see that invisible, that he, throw, that he threw in game four of the World Series and route to that no-hitter until the day that I die. He's going to shove this season. I think he has a real shot to win the American League ERA title, and if he can log enough innings, potentially uh, the Cy Young Award as well. Yeah, I think I'm going to – one of the stories I'm going to work on this spring is to talk to Yankees, talk to Phillies about what it is in his delivery – 
that uh, enables him to hide the ball. It'd be very interesting to hear the perspective of guys like Anthony Rizzo and Judge and Kyle Schwarber because uh, it, it was it, it just jumped out how you as you say they just couldn't see the pitches at all. I remember Dusty Baker first mentioned that uh, in 2021. All right, and your last prediction is ridiculous in that you term it bold. What is that? I think Mike Trout's going to hit 50 home runs for the first time in his career. Is it? As bold as the other two? Perhaps not, but it's also something that he's never done before. He's not getting any younger, Buster. And I think I have a good number to back up why. So, look, obviously health is going to be the most important thing for Mike Trout. I think this year he is more likely to be willing to play through some nagging injuries, perhaps, just be, you know, uh, be, you know, in order to capitalize on the Shohei Otani window. But here's the number that I love to demonstrate this point. So Mike Trout has played 162 games over the last four years, with Otani hitting right behind him in the lineup. So equivalent to one full season. In those 162 games, Buster, Mike Trout has 63 home runs with a 665 slug. If you can give me those two guys back-to-back 120 times, uh, he might get to 50 sometime in early September. Of course, we're presupposing healthier, but 50 home runs for Mike Trout is what I say. Hembo, he had 40 homers and 438 plate appearances last year, okay? I don't think that's bold. I, now, if you came on here and said he was going to hit 65 and break Judge's record, I would say that was bold. You're prepared to do that. I'm not prepared to say that because I need to see him healthy. If he was, in, if he was playing corner outfield this season and I felt better about his ability to be able to uh, fend off those, those stray injuries, those soft tissue injuries and things of that effect, but there's a few years now of enough data that, that are piling up on me, I think he has more than enough power to hit 60 home runs or maybe even 63. But for Mike Trout to hit 50 for the first time in his career, I think it's a safe bold prediction. I don't want to throw, um, throw three haymakers at you. So that's all. That's the best that I could do. All right. Hembo, thanks for doing this. Later, friends. Zero, zero, nine, this is the Numbers Game with Sarah Langs. Sarah Langs, reporter, producer for MLB.com. And Sarah, I was talking to Paul Ambikides about the nuanced and difficulties of being a pitch clock operator from what we heard from major league baseball they got about 120 who have been hired there might be some former players uh, not necessarily major leaguers but former players in baseball former umpires again not necessarily major league umpires but those people are going to run the clock how would you like to run the pitch clock with all of the factors that'll be involved including the possibility of four umpires telling you to reset Oh my goodness. Hey, Buster. I mean, first of all, that just sounds like my absolute nightmare. I would much rather be under the stress of, you know, a guy coming to the plate, having hit three home runs in a game, knowing it's a researcher I'm about to react to a four-homer game or anything else of that sort. Perfect game going on, you name it. Then having to press a button and affect, I mean, guys' careers and everyone in the stands is aware. I mean, everybody knows what is going on. That is the opposite of the amount of attention I want at any point in my life. So uh, I'm very grateful that Major League Baseball has found people who are going to do this. And I'm sure they will do a great job. But oh my gosh, so much stress. Yeah, the inning to alcoholic drink ratio after the game will be high for those people doing that job. (laughs) There's going to be so much stress. All right, let's play the numbers game. Number three. 
Number three is 9.6. So 9.6% was Wander Franco's strikeout rate last year. And they know we've seen Picota projections and we're all thinking about how great the Yankees are going to be in that division this year and how much they're going to dominate. And I agree with all of that, of course. But, you know, everybody talks about the fact that you just can't count out the race on any given year and at any given time. And I think part of the reason for that in this particular year is the return of Wander Franco. He played in fewer than 100 games last year, and I think we have forgotten <laughs> that this is the guy was 22 years old with the plate discipline of a 42 year old very one soda like in that way so that 9.6 percent strikeout rate was the third lowest of anyone last year with at least uh, 300 plate appearances and you know Okay, that's really cool. But he's on a list with Luis Arise, Sam Kwan, Jeff McNeil. But he was 21. So I was curious how rare it was to have a strikeout rate like that at that young of an age. So if we go back to 1990, that was the third lowest strikeout rate by a player in his age 21 season or younger. Again, with that 300 plate appearance minimum behind only uh, White Sox, Mike Caruso in 1998, 6.8%. Pretty amazing. And then Gary Sheffield in 1990 at 7.5%. Number two. Number two is 20.7. So we've got another percent today. 20.7% was Andrew Vaughn's hard hit per swing rate last year. So we've talked about this before. I've talked about this. Uh, Normally hard hit rate is how often when you make contact, those batted balls are hard hit. But we can also look at it as every time you swing, How often do you make hard contact? So obviously, those are lower percentages across the board, but it tells you how well you select those individual swings. So Andrew Vaughn's hard hit rate per swing was fifth in the majors last year behind uh, Jordan Alvarez, Yandy Diaz, Juan Soto, and I believe Alejandro Kirk. So that tells you that this is a guy who is making really, really good contact. So when you're thinking about potential breakout hitters for this year, I really like him based on the underlying numbers. Number one. Number one is 97.9. This one is in miles per hour. So that was Ronald Acuna Jr.'s average max effort arm strength last year. We've talked about him this year about being a 40-40 candidate. But, you know, guys were talking in Braves camp the last few days about how they expect Ronald Acuna Jr. to be fully back this year. And they want people to know that his arm was already back. Last year, even as he was still getting his bats beating his legs under him. So that 97.9 average max effort arm strength 
was the fastest among all outfielders with at least 100 outfield throws. Next on the list, we had Aristides Aquino, 96.3 miles an hour. Oscar Gonzalez, 96.2. And it just shows you that a good Ronald Acuna Jr., a healthy Ronald Acuna Jr., is contributing in so many ways for the Braves. All right, so I was telling Paul Ambikides before that I think I'm going to wind up picking the Padres over the Dodgers in the National League West. Uh, Hembo, basically, he didn't use this word, but I think he thinks I'm really dumb. Uh, what, what do you think in terms of the possibility of the Padres win that division over L.A.? You know, I keep going back and forth. Part of me thinks that until proven otherwise, the Braves, uh, the Dodgers, excuse me, are still the class of that division. But if you look on paper, the Padres made so many moves and clearly made themselves better. The Dodgers did not do exactly the same thing in the offseason. And obviously losing Trey Turner is something that is very, uh, you know, you're very keenly aware of that sign that's going to hurt them. I keep going back and forth. I'm certainly going to pick it to be really close. I'm probably going to pick the Padres because I might pick them. All right. Too. Well, we'll see. We'll see. So you and me versus uh, Hembo. I'm down. Well, I think it's you and I versus about a billion other people based on what Hembo was telling me. So we'll uh, we'll see how that lands. <laughs> Sarah, thanks for doing this. Thanks so much for having me, Buster. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11 ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with Code Baseball. That's Code Baseball. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Philadelphia Phillies. The Phillies are coming off one of the best seasons in franchise history. After finishing in third place in the NL East last year and winning 87 games in the regular season, the Phillies got hot, knocking out the Cardinals, the Braves, and the Padres in the National League playoffs, with Bryce Harper providing the crossroad moment in the National League Championship Series. Swing and a high fly ball, left field, that one is back, gone! Bryce Harper! It's a two-run homer, and the Phillies have the lead, 4-3. Harper delivers. The Phillies lost the World Series to the Astros in six games. Gone, but not forgotten. There was a significant exodus of free agents. Second baseman Gene Segura, shortstop Didi Gregorius, pitcher Zach Eflin, Kyle Gibson, and Noah Syndergaard. Newcomers. 
The Phillies signed shortstop Trey Turner to a $300 million deal, reuniting him with his former Washington teammates Harper and Kyle Schwarber. Craig Kimball was signed to be the closer, and the Phillies spent big on right-hander Taiwan Walker for their rotation. Fault lines. All of the Phillies' projections going into the season last year were about the team fielding a poor defense. And all those turned out to be true. But Philadelphia slugged around that flaw in the postseason. The defense may again be a major concern in 2023 especially without the benefit of defensive shifts. The weakness in Trey Turner's game, in the eyes of rival evaluators, is his defense at shortstop. But the Phillies' offense may be so good that it doesn't matter. The X Factor. Bryce Harper's expected return from elbow surgery sometime in midseason. He thrived last October in spite of his injury, and it's possible he could give the Phillies a huge lift in the last months of 2023. Top prospect Andrew Painter has dominated the minor leagues so far, and he could zoom to the big leagues and jump into the rotation sometime in 2023. The Baseball Tonight Podcast win projection. Paul Embikides, a Phillies fan, says his team will win 91 games this year. Sarah Lang says 90. Bakota 89.5. I've got the Phillies at 89 wins. All aboard. It's the Ravi Train with Carl Ravage. Carl Ravage, play-by-play man on Sunday Night Baseball and also play-by-play on college basketball during the course of the winter. So, Ravi, thanks for making some time for us between stops that you have today. <laughs> My pleasure. I am uh, sitting in an airport in Charlotte right now after a, after the number one team in the land last night uh, lost. We had Tennessee beat Alabama on the home court in Knoxville, Tennessee. So we are uh, looking forward to the clashing of baseball buster and college basketball with the SEC tournament, but of course, spring training games. We got a couple of those, and then the regular season. Very, very good time of year. Very fortunate. Yeah, I, I got to say, when you uh, tell me about Tennessee number one team losing uh, as a Vanderbilt graduate, I'm not brokenhearted. I'm just going to put that out there. Like, I, I'm I I can't say that a lot of a well of uh, sadness came up within me. I don't want to burst your bubble. They beat the number one team. Tennessee wasn't the one team. They were the team that beat the number one team. Okay. Now now I am brokenhearted. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah, while you were doing that last night, we were digging through some of these rule changes, and we'll get to those in a oh, second. Boy. But but we got a string of uh, injury news yesterday, and, and I love doing this, where you, know, you apply the scale of 1 to 10 – on where you put the level of concern about these injuries. So I'm going to throw them at you. Let's start out in Yankees camp. Yesterday, Aaron Boone announced that Frankie Montas, uh, who, of course, was their big acquisition midseason last year, he's going to undergo what essentially is going to be exploratory surgery on his shoulder. He could miss the entire year. Scale of 1 to 10, concern for the Yankees over this injury. Yeah, there's a, a look. This is this is the continuation of what's been a sort of frustrating experience with Frankie Montas and the Yankees. I put it at a tent. I mean, I, I wouldn't know any other way to look at it. But this is this is going to be a very uh, long and 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 hopefully successful recovery. But it's a ten for me. Uh, it, it hasn't gone well at all, and this is just the kind of the next iteration along those lines. And I don't even know if you're going there, but. Uh, you know the Steven Strasburg situation is a, is another disaster, and this this is not Strasburg, but boy, it was a failed year last year after the deal, and here we go again with another year that he's not going to pitch. Yeah, he had a six plus ERA for the Yankees last year after the trade deadline. 
Um, you know, the, he apparently, from what I understand, you know, anything they they wanted to start with his throwing program on flat ground, he just didn't feel right. And they're not sure exactly what's going on, but they're going to go in and check it out. I think this is a case, you remember leading up the trade deadline last year, we wondered if the Yankees would be the team to get Luis Castillo. The Mariners make that deal because the Yankees didn't want to give up one of their best uh, young shortstops in a trade. Uh, and at this point, I, I don't think with Montas uh, eligible for free agency later this year, it, it's nothing beyond sunk cost. Like, I, I think, uh, you know, except for the possibility that it, he might come back at the end of the year, this turns out to be a disaster for the Yankees. 100%. And then, you know, what What Aaron Boone and, uh, you know, and Cashman and, and Blake, what do they do with maybe a reliever, convert him into a starter? And again, this is another reminder, no matter how many starting pitchers or pitchers you have, you can never have too many. You know, this idea that we're going in with six or seven starters and some teams might consider a six-man rotation, you, you never have too much pitching. And the Yankees are, are getting a bad reminder of it here even before we start. You mentioned the Steven Strasburg injury. He's also out indefinitely. Scale of 1 to 10, what do you think? Yeah. Uh, can you go higher? 12, 13? Uh, you know, I love the guy. I love what he was capable of doing. I've known him since he was a collegiate player and playing in the Wood Bat League in Connecticut. Um you know, electrifying stuff when he's healthy. But I think we're passing when he's healthy because there's been no evidence that he's been healthy. And you know, spring training is one of these times, Buster, where if you're not intimately involved with a team or a player, all of a sudden this appears on the radar and you're like, oh, God, like, really? Like, what? We're, why are we just sort of discovering this in spring training? You know, whether it's somebody having surgery or somebody like Strasburg, who's had a setback and I don't know, I, I don't necessarily have great expectations going in. So when I saw that news, I think there was a bit of a, here we go again, part of it. And it's, uh, it's unfortunate and sad. I agree with that a hundred percent. And I also think there's a chance that we've seen him pitch his last uh, pitch in the major leagues. Absolutely. Uh, it, it's, to the, it's to that degree. Um, and it's a reminder because, uh, you know, they win the world series in 2019. They don't win it without Steven, um, you know, who's going to go down in history is, you know, the, the greatest pitching prospect that we've ever seen. Um, but it, it's a reminder that you can't pay for past performance. You have to look at the, you know, the medical information and you have to assess the physical risk. And and uh, at the time that he got that $245 million deal with the, the Nationals, I know folks with other teams were basically saying, what are they doing? Like what? 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 I you get you won the World Series, but what are you doing going that far out with a pitcher who's had that many injuries? And look, he was a tremendous pitcher at his absolute peak. He was so much fun to watch. But it's possible at this point, you know, he might be done. And he's told the Washington Post that he's not sure what's ahead for him. We get word out of the, the uh, Texas Rangers organization that Jacob Degrom has had an early setback. Uh, it's some kind of a lat. Uh, core type strain. We don't know exactly when he's going to be back out on the mound. Carl, for you, scale of one to ten, how concerned? Again, just based on recent history, it has to be a ten. Um, yep. I think there, I think there's a reason that the Mets didn't go all in on Jacob Degrom when they had a chance. Uh, I think there's a reason that Texas is the team that got him. I fear greatly about what Texas just paid for and invested in. I, I have a great fear about that. So I'd put it in a 10, to be honest with you. 
Yeah, I, I agree with you uh, because I, I think, you know, again, they talk about Strasburg or reference Strasburg. In baseball, there's a, you know, a a belief among folks in front office that the greatest predictor of injuries is past injury. And Jacob deGrom has 38 starts in the last three years. And, yeah. I, you, know, to, to, you know, one of the Mets uh, folks asked me a rhetorical question. Did anybody come close to what the Rangers offered? And the answer is no. Right. There was no other team. Willing How to many go. times has that happened, Buster? Right, exactly. How many, how many times has a team bid against itself and ended up, uh, you know, fighting itself by doing that? Yeah, and I think one of the questions the Mets folks had because their their perception of Degrom, and and by the way, this is not at all meant as disrespect. It's meant, uh, you know, just to reflect their experience with him in recent years. Their feeling was is that he wanted to make sure he was one hundred percent right when he was out on the mound. And they wondered, you know, is there going to be a time at that age, given his injury history, that he was actually going to be at 100%? And now it's the Rangers who are going to have to live with that. Yeah, the other interesting component to all of this, and again, living in this college basketball world, living in the world of sports for over 30 years at ESPN, you discover, Buster, there are certain athletes that, and you mentioned the term 100%. There are some players, there are some athletes who really only want to perform when they are like a hundred and one percent. Like they have to feel perfectly. I don't know if that's Jacob DeGrom or not, but given the fact that a lot of guys will pitch through injuries or try to play through injuries, is there evidence that he's one of those people? You know, that's, I I don't know if teams are asking that question. Uh, I don't know if you've heard that before, but I know there are certain athletes who want to be 100% when they perform. And I understand that. I'm not sure how, how um, reasonable that is. And I'm not even suggesting that he's that player, but there are players like that. Yeah. And there are other players who assume day to day that they're not going to be hundred percent and yet they're still going to compete. And I covered maybe the most elite of those. And that was Cal Ripken who just, yep. you know, day after day after day, the assumption when he woke up was, I'm going to do what I can to be in the lineup card. And he was day after day after day. There's some pitchers, you know, Verlander, uh, he just posts up. Uh, yeah. And that was the, I know the, the, the conversation within the Mets organization that they felt really good about, uh, you know, Justin Verlander and his chances for posting up every fifth day. And that was not their experience with DeGrom in recent seasons. Um, all right. I know they got, only got a minute left. We've got a, a conference call, Zoom call with Major League Baseball officials about these new rule changes. You know, I was just talking with Jeff Passan about, you know, what we saw in the first rules presentation that we got. And Carl, my takeaway was, man, there's so many nuances. <laughs> well, I, I'll be honest with you, Buster. Any idea that there's a rule or a law and there's nuance or things open to interpretation? That never goes well. Um, so if there is what you suggest that's more nuance in all of this, then we're all in for a very, as I board a plane, very bumpy ride with all sorts of turbulence because, you know, the way one particular player or person or umpire looks at a rule may not be exactly the same way that another does. And um, black and white is the ideal way rules should be written and then interpreted and then enforced. And if there's nuance, you know that this is going to be a brutal uh, spring training for everyone kind of getting on the same page. And look, we live in a world in which umpires have sort of their own variations on rules and certainly managers interpret things differently. So 
it's going to be a massive challenge and nuance a bad word when it comes to rules. Yeah. Uh, well, that, uh, that'll be an interesting zoom call next week. And uh, it'll be interesting to have conversations with you going forward to identify those. Cause you and I both know this, the, the, one of the big things that's going to happen is there's going to be so much complaining initially from, from veteran players. They're not going to like this. It's going to be like, uh, you know, trying to give medicine to, uh, to a kid. Like they're just yeah. going to complain and that's just the way it goes. All right, Ravi. Uh, thanks for ruining my day with the news about Tennessee. My bad. Sorry about that, Buster. And it could get worse because they're a legitimate championship contender. I don't want to burst the bubble. I don't want to throw a hot air balloon up there or even a weather balloon, but it's possible. Bleacher Tweets. Alrighty, Buster. Bleacher Tweets for a Thursday. Christopher Bishop is up first at Chris Bishop. He writes in, hey, Buster, I've heard a lot of fans complaining about the bigger bases, but do you think most would have even noticed the larger bases if the league hadn't announced it? Chris, absolutely yes. I saw Alex <laughs> for a description that they look like giant pizza boxes, and you see stacked up outside of colleges, uh, college dorms on uh, on Saturday and Sunday mornings. That's absolutely what it would look like. Yeah, they would have noticed. What about that photo shoot? The, the pictures of the photo shoot going around the internet. That was pretty good. Amy Chapman up next. She writes, and how uh, how does the World Baseball Classic impact you and Tim and others getting to look at teams this spring when they are missing a number of key players? Yeah, Amy, it, it actually informs some of the choices you make and which camps you visit because you call ahead and say, hey, is uh, so-and-so in your camp? No, he's off the WBC. And then you just move on to another camp. There are you know, a number of stars who are actually, as we go through day by day now, who are choosing not to participate, like Nestor Cortez, who cited a hamstring issue for not uh, participating in the WBC. Al Beatty at Right Down Broadway right down Broadway writes, and it's tough being a Reds fan. Any hope for the team? I'm excited about the young pitching staff along with India and Stevenson. Yeah, hope for contending in 2023? No. But I've talked to Nick Kroll, the general manager of the Reds recently. I think they're hopeful about what they're building there. But let's face it, this, uh, this will not be a playoff year in Cincinnati. Elizabeth Hart at eHart Tweets writes in lots of rule changes this season, but have they ever considered a rule change for the pitcher's safety where if a pitcher gets hit in the head, it's immediately called a dead ball so that everyone can focus on the pitcher's health? Yeah, I, I've never heard that. Uh, and yeah, I just it would be hard to put in a rule like that because what happens, you're asking basically the umpires to immediately diagnose the severity of an injury, and that's not always clear when the pitcher gets hit immediately. And you'd hate for, you know, let's say a guy, you know, hits a rocket through the middle, the pitcher goes down, everyone stops, and it turns out it would have been a double, like a game. I, I, I think it's, uh, you know, allowing the players to finish the play, and and uh, and I've seen situations where, uh, you know, a catcher or first baseman, if the pitcher's in serious jeopardy, actually run to the mound before the play's even over. Justin Woodwick writes in, hey, Buster, do you think the Tigers will be at least better than last season? Can't be worse. (laughs) (laughs) That was a disaster. Matthew Porto writes in, as a huge Tolkien slash Lord of the Rings fan, I was delighted to see an episode named Bilbo Baggins. Since we are ranking Jim Carrey movies as well as baseball stuff, how about ranking of Taylor's best quirky episode titles? By the way, is Buster a Lord of the Rings guy? No, uh, full disclosure, I was supposed to read it for summer reading. I lied when I was in the eighth grade. I didn't (laughs) read it. I'm not like that fantasy fiction 
type person. I like history. You're a Give realist. us your best uh, quirky episode titles. Ooh, I don't. I'm gonna have to take Ooh. a deep dive into that. Sarah is very nice about my episode titles, so we'll we'll check that out at a different time here. Last one for today: Ami High Bannett. So, which Mets pitcher does Buster think finishes 2023 with more career strikeouts? Justin Verlander or Max Scherzer? Verlander's got 3,198. Max Scherzer has 3,192. Verlander, he's got a younger elbow. <laughs> he had Tommy John surgery in 2021, and I think Justin, I think Justin's devoted the idea of pursuing 300 wins. Uh, I think that's a focus for him. I think he wants to pitch in his mid 40s. I don't think Max is going to pitch in his mid 40s. I don't think it's uh, you know going that deep is as important to him as it is to Justin. That's it for Bleacher tweets. Hashtag Bleacher tweets on Twitter. Thanks for showing up, Bleacher tweeters. We'll be back on Monday. Yeah, tons of Bleacher tweets. Heck yeah. That's it for today. My thanks to Ravi, Sarah, Jeff, Hembo, Sarah, and Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Uh, Have a great weekend. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. Dogs are an important part of our lives. That means protecting them from parasites. Ask your vet about NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus Chews provides one and done monthly protection against fleas, ticks, heartworm disease, roundworms, and hookworms. Plus, they're delicious and easy to give. Use with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting a preventive. Ask about NexGuard Plus Chews.